From listener-supported KTOO, welcome to Juno Afternoon, broadcasting live from the homelands of the Aquan and on demand as a podcast. It's Tuesday, February 13th, 2024. I'm your host, Boston Christopher, Gunnath Chi, Shawa, Salam Mott, for joining the conversation. On today's show, the Tony-nominated play Indecent opens this week at Perseverance, written by Paula Vogel, who has a long history with Juno Theatre. We'll have a preview. Perseverance Theatre was recently one of five theatres in the country to receive a prestigious grant on the future of American theatre. We'll talk with leaders from the theatre about what this means for Juno's theatrical future. And we'll chat with 49 writers about upcoming workshops available in person and online, and the latest installment of Tongas Voices from the KTOO News Team. Those conversations, music, and more coming up this hour on Juno Afternoon. Support from Hanson Gress. Seeking curious people who like technology, network engineering, and customer support. Opportunities for those who thrive on problem solving. Details at hansongress.com slash careers. Support for Juno Afternoon comes from Heritage Coffee Roasting Company, providing Juno with locally roasted coffee for over 40 years, with cafes and drive through locations throughout Juno. More at heritagecoffee.com. You're listening to Community Supported Juno Afternoon on KTOA 104.3 Juno, 91.7 Juno Bay, and online at KTOO.org. I'm your host, Boston Christopher. Playwright Paula Vogel has a long history with Juno Theater. She wrote and premiered her Pulitzer Prize winning play, How I Learned to Drive, at Perseverance Theater back in the late 90s, but first visited Perseverance in the early days of the theater in the late 70s and early 80s. And now, Perseverance will close their season with Vogel's play, Indecent, which opens this Friday. For more, you can visit ptalaska.org. But before we talk about the play, director Hannah Wolf had the chance to talk with Paula about her connection to Perseverance and Alaska Theater. I first came to Juno when I was 27 years old. Um, Molly Smith had started Perseverance just a couple of years before. And she brought me in. I was I was living, you know, the starvation life in New York with three jobs and illegal sublets. And she said, we were, we're never going to uh, produce you um, because we're starting a theater company for Alaskans. Now, if you give back to our community and give back to Alaskans, then we'll talk. And, you know, I thought about it and I thought, you know, that's only fair. That's absolutely right. Um, to start a theater company and actually, it, it's what I profoundly believe, grow your artists locally, because there are always amazing artists locally that I feel so many theater companies skip over by importing their notion of professional actors, professional directors, instead of developing the skills. The entire Juno community feels to me like a repertory company. <laughs> um, so I fell in love that first summer. I did a um, uh, a four week playwriting intensive. Um, I think we called it inner bound. And in four weeks time, whoever walked in the room 
had written plays and we'd done readings of the plays. And, you know, the, the talent was just amazing. So I suggested to Molly that she start a playwriting competition that was statewide. And I think we called the Great Alaskan Play Bake Off or, or Playwriting <laughs> Contest. Um, and I started coming back pretty much every summer. Uh, to do the workshop and the end of the first summer when they put me back on the plane to go back to the east I was weeping so hard I stayed up all night I was weeping as they put me on the plane and I said now I understand why you were paying me money to do this because it's so damn hard to leave um <laughs> but fortunately I kept coming back at which point Molly and the company started doing my plays. And I can't tell you at that point, I couldn't get arrested in the American theater. Nobody <laughs> was in my place. They were telling me how weird I was. And so to be done in Juneau and then walk to the post office and have a discussion with the postmistress on the problems of my second act was just sublime. Um, and I noted also that there wasn't this kind of outsiderness of being a theater artist, everybody's a theater artist, everybody's an artist, um, and the theater belonged to the community, I think, in a great way. That was Paula Vogel talking about her first experiences here in Juneau. And now, welcome to the studio, director Hannah Wolf and actor Chris Stahl. Thank you all for being here. Wasiyati, what's going on? Thanks for having us. Of course. Oh, wait a minute. Hang on a second. There we go. Now oh, you're on the air. Thanks for having us. Thank you. There we go, Chris. <laughs> Live radio. We love it. Um, so, yeah, it's really great to have you all here. Um, so, And it was really nice to sort of get that connection of Paula's you know, history here in Juneau to the theater. She's worked at Perseverance a number of times. Obviously, she's talking about that coming here in the late 70s, early 80s, when the theater first started to help out and teach playwriting. And um, it's so great to see that she's back on the main stage with her latest play or one of her latest plays in Decent, um, which I noted in the intro that it was uh, Tony nominated the play was. There was some Tony Awards for the play, Best Director and also Best Lighting Design. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's really great. But let's talk about this play in Decent, Hannah. Will you tell us the story of the play? Let's get, uh, get ourselves situated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the story of Indecent is that in 1923, this play, God of Vengeance, was the first lesbian kiss on Broadway. And all of those actors were arrested that night for indecency. And so that's really the like crux of this play, Indecent, that is telling the story of the play of God of Vengeance, because the thing that many people don't know is that it's an old Yiddish play. And so it was actually written in 1906 and had this lesbian kiss in it that um, was very real and very authentic and written by this male Yiddish playwright. And so the play of Indecent is really tracking God of Vengeance through its European tour coming to the U.S. And then the censorship it had to go through to get to Broadway and then the repercussions of that. 
And it's also then that story is told with a lot of music, a lot of dance, a lot of joy. And it's a troupe of theater makers telling the story of God of Vengeance and also doing the play of God of Vengeance. Yeah, I've seen some clips, uh, I think, of the original promotions of the play. And um, and how do you say that playwright's name? Is it Shalom Ash? Sholem Ash, yeah. Yeah, okay, Sholem Ash. Yeah, and, and, and so it's, it's wild to think that a play was closed down for obscenity charges that a play that had already existed for like 15, 20 years, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So do we know, does it come out in the play like what they were, what they had to do to get it on Broadway? Yes. Yeah. So it comes out in the play how the producers had to take out certain elements of the play to be able to appeal to a wider audience. And then- So for instance, did they have to take out the kiss? Uh, yes, they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. They did, and they still then got arrested because there was still a kiss in it. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, wow. So they took out. They took out. There's the specific rain scene called the rain scene, which okay. is the the crux of the play. It's the scene we see over and over in the play Indecent because it is the heartbeat of God of Vengeance, and it's why all of the characters, including Chris's character Lemel stay with that play is that they because of that rain scene Mm. and so then to transfer to broadway they took out the rain scene okay so this is a play within a play we're watching a play called (laughs) indecent Mm -hmm. we're watching the play the god of vengeance (laughs) Mm -hmm. so the play indecent is about getting this production of the god of vengeance onto broadway Mm -hmm. with this troupe of Mm -hmm. actors and all the the various trials and tribulations Mm -hmm. what is the god of vengeance about Well, The God of Vengeance is basically um, about this man who owns a brothel and runs this brothel in his uh, basement, uh, essentially. And his daughter uh, is also, um, you know, a part of, you know, that. (laughs) And he she falls in love with one of the prostitutes that are in this brothel Um, and basically from there, that's we we witness in the God of Vengeance um, their love for one another, and it has to be kept a secret from her father. Uh, and uh, when it's revealed at the end, well, maybe I shouldn't say so that they can see it. Um, but ba- but uh, there's some very you know very scandalous things in there, especially for that time it, within the God of Vengeance. You see, as Hannah had mentioned, like a, a lesbian. Uh, a relationship uh, as and you see a kiss uh, that happens and those are things that and you also see something happen with the Torah which is uh, very uh, scandalous for uh, for that time period um, and that's why it's so um, important I think that that was coming out in the early 1900s because the, the the fact that you're seeing two women falling in love in a play written in that time period uh, I think is so ahead of its time predates and, Ellen yes it does <laughs> on the sitcom, certainly coming right? out For sure. <laughs> yeah. about a hundred yeah. years yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah about a hundred or so so it's interesting like so the play The God of Vengeance which is inside this play Indecent and all about the production of getting that to Broadway but it had already been touring yes right Success Successfully, too. Successfully, and mm-hmm. hadn't had this controversy no. in other areas. It's only when it came to America and Broadway and the production. Because, And we yeah. have to probably say this, too. Like, Broadway is a very commercial, for-profit entity. 
um, mm-hmm. and ha- always has been versus something like Perseverance Theater where this production is being done is a, what we call a nonprofit theater, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So like the difference in producers who have their money on the line wanting to make sure they're going to get their, you know, re, 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 reimbursement, reimbursement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. like that's an interesting thing because then there's the fame, you know, people have heard this probably in the world, like the notes that you get from producers on films or plays mm-hmm. or whatnot mm-hmm. and changes that are having to be made to sort of kowtow to the system or whatnot. It seems like that's what was happening as this play sort of came into America. It is the, you know, the, the original God of Vengeance had a very successful run on the Lower East Side in Yiddish and then also in an English transfer. And so and so this moment of then taking it to the commercial stages, mm-hmm. the thing I really love about Indecent is that none of the characters are a villain, right? Because mm-hmm. it's a chance for some of these very famed Yiddish actors to actually be on a Broadway stage, right? right to right. actually reach a wider audience. And so and so th- even the producer, right, is attempting mm. to he he's there's a line in the play where he says, I am, you know, I'm producing this play because I want to tell our stories on this stage. And so everyone's coming at this play with good intentions. It's just that for its content at that time, it like Broadway wasn't ready for it at right, all. Yeah. Right. And it's interesting because I still think this happens in the New York theater scene. Maybe you can speak to that. But mm-hmm. I mean all kinds of things can happen in what we call downtown theater in New mm-hmm, York, right? Mm-hmm. All kinds of things happen, but to get it to transfer to one of the other, you know, to Broadway, mm-hmm. it's really difficult. You need mm-hmm. a star, you need, you know, you need, you got to sell tickets, right? Because the thing, the things, the one thing that theater hasn't gotten is cheaper to produce, <laughs> um, <true>. which <laughs> is, you know, <laughs> um, so like Broadway, that's why you see a lot of Disney on Broadway. Mm-hmm. You see a lot of different things that are going to nest, probably going to be successful. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's interesting. That's a, it's such a great story. It sounds like it's very, um, going to be very entertaining to see the trials and tribulations that the troupe goes through. But let's talk about the production of this play in terms of also, I, I, I know that there's only one character in the play that's played by one person. Is that right? That's, that's you. That's, that's you. Okay. Yeah, that's Lemel, you said. Mm-hmm. Okay. Lemel, the stage manager. Now, yes. everyone else in the play, all the other actors, I should say, are playing multiple characters. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was interesting because I, I was watching one of the clips of Paula talking about the play. And so one of the actors said something like, it's almost like all the other actors um, are playing these ghost characters mm. because they're they're all these different characters coming in and out of the play. So tell us a little bit about that conceit and how that works in the play, Hannah. Yeah, I mean it's so the play is inherently theatrical. It's built to be on stage, and honestly, it like is an actor's playground. Mm. And so all of our performers, who we call the dead troupe, are having so much fun playing these <laughs> five to ten-ish roles that they take on mm. in different – some of them are speaking different languages. Some of them are speaking different accents. Oh, wow. They're dancing. They're singing in multiple languages. They're having a lot. It's like – it's such a fun challenge for an actor to chew on. And our our ensemble is so talented and is really like – jumping in with with both feet because they have to because we're opening this week. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then we also have, it's actually an ensemble of 10 because we also have three band members on stage who mm-hmm. are part of the ensemble who are 
part who are part of the piece and are in the dances and are memorized on the music and are in the scenes. Oh, wow. And so at the core of it, all of this theatrical storytelling is because the play is really a love letter to theater and mm. to how we make theater and a love letter to how we tell stories mm. on stage. And so Paula really shoved everything but the kitchen sink into it <laughs> <laughs> to like to to really show how which is why I think it's so it's so fun to be doing it at Perseverance right because Perseverance is the people as Paula said in our interview and and we get to really put those people on stage and mm-hmm. like and tell this story together with them yeah. with this ensemble that's great. And you did mention, you were talking about the ensemble. Let's talk about a few of the other actors who are in the piece. I know we had um, uh, UAS Dean of Humanities, Arts and Humanities, Karen Salkaitis is in the play. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Roblin Gray Davis is in the play. Tell us who else is in the play. Uh, there's uh, Jack. Actually, I don't know Jack's last name. What Schultz. is Jack? Schultz. 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 Uh, he plays uh, Sholem Ash. Uh, there's also Ayla. Uh, again, I don't. <laughs> That's Ayla Hannah Rose Baru. There you who, go. It's Ayla's first time. You're a method yeah. actor. I'm a method <laughs> actor. By their exactly. Names. I, that's all I know them as. Um, yes. And then uh, Jessica, who also is in the show, she uh, plays Hannah. And just to say that Jessica is a, a longtime uh, Anchorage yes. actor, her first yes. time on the Perseverance stage. So we're very excited to have her and have this like wide Alaskan company. Yes. That's great. Yeah. That's Absolutely. great that we're having representation from all over the state. That's mm-hmm. really wonderful. And then Enrique Bravo is mm-hmm. in the piece. Don't um, know him. <laughs> just not at kidding. All. Enrique, of course, <laughs> audiences know him. He's been in many Perseverance plays over yes. the last 10 years or so. Yes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Anybody, did we miss, did we leave Those anybody Those are the out? seven actors. And then our band uh, is David Romvet, who's from out of town, but actually taught Robble and Gray Davis at Sika Fine Arts Camp in the oh, 80s. Wow. So David has a long history with Alaska. And then Beth Leibowitz and Lisa Ibius are our three band members. And David is also, he's the music director, mm-hmm. is that right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, Hannah, that there's a lot of like dance and um, music in this show, right? So mm-hmm. how does that incorporate into the story? Is it part of the storytelling from the God of Vengeance side of the play, or is it part of Paula saying, let's present this in a very theatrical way? It's part of Paula's way in on it, right? Which is like her, you know, the play does deal with Judaism and what is to assimilate to America. And Paula's definition of Judaism is good music, good food, good Mm -hmm. comedy. (laughs) And so she put all of that into the play. Yeah. And so God of Vengeance has no music in it. It's very melodramatic. It's of its time in that writing. But then Paula really surrounds it and surrounds all of Mm. these difficult themes with a whole lot of love. And laughter, right? Mm-hmm. I know oh, there's it's a lot so of humor funny. Yeah, yeah, there's it's so, so much funny. humor. Yeah. So is the so is the now Lemel character, Chris, mm-hmm. is that in the God of Vengeance? No, actually. Um, funny enough, uh Paula, when she wrote uh Indecent, she basically created this fictional character of Lemel to be the stage manager, in some ways to be an ode to the stage manager in our town okay. by Thornton Wilder. Um And basically, you see the play and all the things that are happening with this troupe of actors putting on this play really through the eyes of of Lemel. He's the one, as you said earlier, doesn't play numerous characters. He really is just himself. Um, And all of the the uh, trials and tribulations that they're going through, you're really witnessing as these other actors are switching characters and being different uh, actors playing the God of Vengeance. 
while that is all changing, he is the constant. And uh, through him, you're seeing like exactly what's happening uh, in these events. And basically, honestly, I I feel is like the emotional anchor uh, of the production itself, because when not to ruin, of course, what happens at the end. (laughs) But uh, when, you know, nobody ever wants to spoil it. No one wants to spoil it for some reason. I don't know why. Um, But um, what happens at the end, I think you really understand the emotional impact impact of it more because you've seen this one person go through the whole stage, every scene uh, witnessing it. That's um, awesome. Yeah, it's very, yeah, it's a beautiful play. You're beautiful listening play. to Juno Afternoon on KTO. I'm talking with Hannah Wolf and Chris Stahl. Hannah's the director of the play Indecent, which is opening at Perseverance this Friday. Um, we do want to mention that normally there's a preview on Wednesday nights, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of some, I don't know, recent <laughs> snowstorms that maybe have, you know, slowed down some rehearsals. In Alaska? And <laughs> Never. <laughs> um, that uh, you're, you're canceling that pay-as-you-can preview tomorrow, mm-hmm. but we want to let people know that there still are going to be two pay-as-you-can previews available to mm-hmm. folks, which is going to be Sunday and then I think the following Thursday. Mm-hmm. Is that I right? I believe so, okay. yeah, yeah. But the show opens Friday, um, and it's going to run until uh, March 3rd here in Juneau, and then you're going to be transferring this production back up to Jessica's home, one of the actors in the show, back up to Anchorage, where it will run for a couple weekends there, March 15th through the 24th. Pretty quick turnaround there. Mm-hmm. So if you see it here in Juneau and you have a pal up in Anchorage, you can let them know um, how awesome the show was and tell them to get down to UAA, uh, where the theater now performs, and to see this production of Indecent. It's really sounds like it's going to be uh, a lot of fun, and we go from... You know, these these uh, insights. So we're seeing scenes, Hannah, of the play, the God, the God of Vengeance. Mm -hmm. And then we break out of that at some point. Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how does that work? So we're seeing scenes of the play of God of Vengeance where our dead troop are playing the named characters in God of Vengeance. But then we're also seeing the actors playing those roles. And so we see the play from like 1906 to the 1950s. And we so we see. Our actors are like Chris, our actor, yeah. <laughs> um, playing actors in the dead troupe who then are playing actors who then are playing the roles. Very lame. Wow. That is some layers <laughs> right there. The best thing to do is go see the play, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, just sort of yeah. give yourself over to the story. Um, so that's great. Well, I really want to uh, say Gunath Cheesh for being here today. Hannah Wolf and Chris Stahl for coming in, telling us a little bit about Indecent. Um, it's an interesting title, obviously. Uh, you know, we talked about at the beginning that this play was uh, The God of Vengeance was performed on Broadway in, would you say, 1923? 1923, yeah. yeah and it got shut down on its first night because there was an obscene kiss Mm-hmm. between two women mm-hmm. um, and all the actors were arrested. They were mm-hmm. right. And it brings up this question of like that. It, I think we're still asking today of who gets to decide what's indecent. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and what are the repercussions of that decision? That's so good. That's mm-hmm. so good. Sounds like you guys are going to have a great time. Um, break a leg, as they Thanks. say in the theater. And uh, thank you so much for coming in. Gunnar Cheesh, it's ptalaska.org for more information and tickets. It's Indecent by Paula Vogel. It opens this Friday, February 16th, runs through March 3rd uh, here in Juneau with performances up in Anchorage, March 15th through the 24th. Again, Hannah Wolf, Chris Stahl, Gunnar Cheesh for joining me today. 
Um, up next, we'll chat with Perseverance Leadership about an exciting new grant they received as one of five theaters leading the future of American theater. But first, the latest installment of Tongas Voices, a series from KTOO sharing weekly perspectives from a variety of residents in Southeast Alaska. Today, we hear from Anna Mahanner, a musician, bartender, and skateboarder here in Juneau. People may know her from her band, Rain Dogs. Keenan Wright and Jacob Eberhardt make up the rest of the band. The Rain Dogs are putting out their first album this month. Mahanner shares how Juno's music scene has helped her gain confidence as a performer. So I'm Anna Mahanner, and I play in a local band called The Rain Dogs. And I moved here two years, almost two years ago. <laughs> I moved here to kind of pursue music and becoming a little bit more confident with playing because I always used to get really nervous when I would go up on stage. Three summers ago, I visited my best friend who I live with now. Uh, she was working for the Forest Service. She was like, you need to come visit. Juno's sick. It's so pretty here. But then when I got flew into Juno, it was like an 80 degree day. So I got totally catfished. And fast forward about a year, we were planning to move to Vermont. And then she was like, actually, how do you feel about Moving to Juneau, I got offered the same job again. And that's how I ended up here. Usually what I've found is it is a really cathartic release. Usually I'm pretty sad or pretty bummed. I am a bit somber. And it's like a journal entry. And you kind of just like, I start like picking around. And I'm like, oh, I like that riff. And I have a loop pedal. So I'll like get things going on loop pedal. vocals it's like usually you could like I like hum in a little melody and then I like I'm like okay that's the melody and then like I worry about the words later because like sometimes I'll be like you know I could be like talking about like my dirty socks you know what I mean <laughs> and I'm like I'm not gonna use these lyrics but like something that like sounds similar or whatever Keenan and we played in the folk fest and it was very kind of like like spur of the moment like oh let's play together and he liked playing some of my songs we played some open mics and then we were like let's start a let's like let's start in and then his roommate Jacob who didn't play bass at all was like I'll play bass <laughs> so now he's playing bass and he he's actually a really really good bass player but uh um it kind of turned into one of those things where we were playing together and I was like, and they were like, well, what do you want to call it? They said they really like Rainier. <laughs> and I was like, I really like my dog's name. I was like, I really want to call it Harley Harley. And I was like, wink, wink. And they were like, no, we're not calling it your dog's name. And so they're like, what about the rain dogs? Cause then it's the beer that we like to drink and you still get a dog in there. I was like, all right. The close knit community here has definitely made it a little bit easier to transition into feeling comfortable going up and performing. Plus everyone is so supportive and so welcoming and like really, I feel like pushes you to kind of branch out and experience doing something new that you haven't done.
KTOO would like to acknowledge that we broadcast from the homelands of the Akwan. The Glenade have stewarded this area for thousands of years. Today, our studios sit on a spot, once part of the Tidelands, now covered over with buildings, roads, and parking lots. We recognize those families who traveled to and from these Tidelands to fishing and hunting grounds and to gatherings in other villages and still cherish it as an important part of their way of life for today and for future generations. This is Juno Afternoon from your listener-supported public media station, KTOO. I'm your host, Boston Christopher. Perseverance Theater was recently awarded with four other theaters around the country on a grant as part of the Future of American Theater Cohort, a $500,000 grant to support their ongoing innovation, cultural change-making, and ambitious artistic programming. Perseverance Theater was awarded for decolonizing for right-purposed relations with Alaska Natives and all Native slash Indigenous peoples for collective liberation. Joining me now, Leslie Ishii, artistic Director and Rio Alberto, Director of Marketing and Engagement. Thank you so much for being here today. What's up? Gunachish for having us. Of yes, Gunachish for having us. Yeah, it's Always a pleasure. So, congratulations. Yes. I mean, oh my gosh. I mean, $500,000, nothing to sneeze at. It comes from the Mellon Foundation. I just want to read this to um, from Stephanie Yarba, who's the program officer for arts and culture at the Mellon Foundation. She says, each organization in this cohort has demonstrated local and national leadership capabilities through coalition building and their practice of abundant collectivism. The close collaborations on behalf of communities in the larger theater ecosystem is thrilling to see, and we're proud to be in partnership with them as they do this important work. And Perseverance was named along with these other theaters, Cleveland Public Theater, Company One Theater, Crowded Fire Theater, and Mosaic Theater Company. So like five companies out of the entire swath of companies in the United States. Um, So tell us a little bit about how this grant came about. Was the coalition something that started before and then you applied to this granting organization? Or how did this work begin, Leslie? Really, really good question. Um, a, A couple of things to note. It happens out. It wasn't necessarily connected to the National New Play Network that Perseverance is a core member of, and I sit on the board uh, of that organization. But we all happen to be members, so we found ourselves at convenings. And, you know, you're in Zoom meetings with coalition building. I'm also the uh, co-chair of the coalition uh, building committee for the professional nonprofit theater coalition that's been lobbying. And that's how we got the Shutter Venues Operators Grant inclusion. Uh, so we've been working in all these different spaces. And when COVID hit, naturally, you started. we started to reach out. And uh, again, the National New Play Network was a beautiful um, support to that because we were meeting in regions and we would help each other. How are you doing this? What's happening? You know, and it was basically peer learning going on. And then these um, five theaters, you know, us included, Perseverance, uh, started to come together because we were doing innovative things kind of outside your usual sort of structure of the American theater. The way you, uh, the way we work in community started to open up and 
um, innovate's kind of an interesting word, but we were, got committed to decolonization and supporting revitalization here in Alaska for, with Alaska Natives. So, and then our, our programming and our commitment to all that work started to shift our structures and how we're working and, you know, want to support arts education and how can we have a, a, a process that doesn't burn people out? How can we actually have more humane approaches to the work. So all these theaters sort of, you found like-minded theaters mm -hmm. doing sort of innovative work. You said, yeah. hey, we should maybe get together and be a coalition. And then uh, this organization, the Mellon Foundation, which has been a long supporter of Perseverance Theater mm -hmm. in terms of its programming. But this this coalition got together and the granting organization said, hey, let's support you all. So it's really a two and a half million dollar grant. And That's each right. theater is getting $500,000. So I'm curious, what does this money then go to do? It's it's not a general operating thing, is it? Is Correct. it more specific to certain kinds of work? And tell us about what that's going to support. Totally. it's it, You're right. It's not for general operation or infrastructure. It's uh, Stephanie Yabata, as you mentioned, at Mellon now. Um, it's really about, she said, you know, I think some of the challenges have been we try to make things bigger and think that's going to be better. Mm. But I see what you're doing deserves support to go deeper, mm. to deepen the work you're already doing that we know is uh, contributing to the health and ecology of your communities. Um, and I'll just share that the NEA summit that I was recently invited to, Ben Brown and I went to, It was this was such a beautiful alignment. It was um, the NEA Healing, Bridging, Thriving Summit where several hundred arts and culture leaders along with cross-sector agencies of the government came together. And it was really affirming exactly what we're doing. How do we look at health and well-being in our communities through the arts, through knowing the arts have a very integral role to play in um, supporting the resilience of our cities, of our cultural centers. And we know like, like the Winter Bear Project, we, we were helping to, uh, to prevent suicide. Uh, during COVID, we went digital. Uh, Rio here, we have arts and uh, culture education, you know, arts education that supports our students to really grow in healthy ways, working in deep coalition or collaboration with SHI around the health and well-being of our Native students. And what does all that mean for our community's resilience in general? So that summit kind of ties in with what we just got funded for, to keep going and to look at the larger ecology and how we can contribute to that, how I it's see. integral. Okay. Yeah. And Rio, how's this going to impact your work? As you're the director of marketing and engagement, <laughs> engagement being probably the part where this is going to come into play. Yeah. Um, marketing and engagement. I also like to sometimes joke that I'm the resident uh, personality hire, which is really great because I don't really know what I'm doing a lot of the time, except for kind of trying to find creative ways to use storytelling and to use um, our, our, our healing-centered theater practices to be of service to the community. So um, being able to continue, as Leslie said, it's less about expansion in, uh, in, in, a, in a horizontal sense, like the lateral connection is this cohort, this coalition building that we're doing. And so then uh, we get to focus instead on the depth, right? How are we deepening the work and um, finding ways to uh, listen and respond to what we're hearing from students of all ages, right? In, in, uh, in one sense, right, part of my education or my engagement work is education um, and being able to hear and listen to what the landscape of arts education 
education, specifically theater arts education, has looked like in the state of Alaska as a whole, but more specifically in Juneau, Douglas, the city and borough here in Southeast that we serve, um, being able to listen to what that history has looked like and then apply those learnings to how I'm going to continue to deepen and what are, what are the responses, what are the gaps that need to be filled or that once were filled, what are the lessons that I can take away, um, or perhaps even who are the existing educators that maybe didn't get a chance to do what they wanted to do or what they had a vision for what could be done or what could be of great service to their students. As someone that is not from Southeast Alaska, there's so much that I don't know. So for me to be able to deepen that understanding by connecting with with um, other arts organizations and other educators, um, also uh, across disciplines, right, where it's not just uh, theatrical storytelling, but also learning about the visual arts and other forms of storytelling and music as it exists and finding ways to deepen the arts education that we can offer. That's great. Also, just being able to, in a practical sense, you know, this isn't an operations grant, but this does allow us to continue to keep uh, arts educators employed, which is a huge, mm-hmm. huge thing to just in- uh, increase our capacity and continue to try to be of service to as many students as possible. Um, because, uh, you know, and, and you mentioned, you know, Paula Vogel's visit here to Juno and her time here that really informed, as she said, it made her an artist to be in Juno. Um, the other thing that she said that was that really resonated with me was that Perseverance's mission of being of service to the community is what the future of the American theater should look like. So being able to know that uh, our programming will continue to expand and help support the development artistically for, for actors of all ages, but knowing that our education programs as well will feed into uh, developing those skills and those interests. You know, it, 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 it's not just to the theater, right? We know that there's so many ways in which the theater skills can be applied to the 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 the, the workforce right that's workforce right. development that we do there mm-hmm. so just all those fabulous it's, ways it's all connected so yes that's good really. um and i'm sure that we will be getting some sort of announcement soon about what might be coming up after indecent for the next season at perseverance theater high voice yeah. <laughs> absolutely that, yes when do you think you'll be announcing your season um, we'll definitely be announcing it a lot earlier than we have in the past because, you know, it's no secret that um, kind of across the, the field at, at a national level, um, small to mid-sized theaters have been hurting even before COVID and it's not improved since then. So as we've remained in recovery, we've tried to be really careful about how we um, build that programming out. And I hope I'm not speaking too far out of turn. I would al- allow you, of course, as artistic director mm, to, to no. speak more to it. <laughs> but I just, um, from my lens, knowing that we're actually, the announcement's coming soon but like Great. i would just that's say all that. I, that's yeah, all i really girl. want was to know yes. that it's coming soon. it's coming soon and it's a good yeah. one it's a good one well i just yeah. want to say congratulations on the grant um and again it's the future of american theater cohort grant it awards perseverance five hundred thousand dollars over the next couple years to support their ongoing innovation cultural change making and ambitious artistic programming especially when it comes to decolonizing and uh, working with Alaska Natives and all Natives slash Indigenous peoples for collective liberation. So Leslie Ishii, Rio Alberto, thank you so much for coming in today and telling us a little bit about this grant. We look forward to Indecent, which again opens this Friday, and uh, we'll look for more work from Perseverance Theater in the future. Gunnath Cheese. Gunnath Cheese. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Up next, oh, I was going to say, keep an eye on Perseverance at PT Alaska. Dot org, right? That's for Rio because he's the marketing guy. Um, <laughs> uh, up next, the collective known as 49 Writers is offering a variety of workshops in the coming months, many of which are available via Zoom. We'll find out more next here on Juno Afternoon from KTOO. But first, a savory moment. 
Step in to the savory moment. Chicken bones, onion tops, celery bottoms, parsley stems, potato peels. These items are as familiar to us as anything we handle in the kitchen. So familiar, we often fail to see them as the faithful companions they truly are. Try this. The next time you're cooking, gather all the scraps and throw them into a pot. The peels from those carrots going into your salad, the nubbly brown skin from the russets going into your soup. Can you unearth some bones from the refrigerator? Remnants from last night's roast chicken or pork chops. Throw those in too. Add water to barely cover, a big pinch of salt, a few peppercorns, a couple of whole garlic cloves. Bring to a genial simmer and let this melange keep you company while you cook. This is an extremely low-maintenance friend. Just make sure it's bubbling gently and stays well hydrated. Think of it like a cat purring on the windowsill while you go about the business of putting a meal on the table. After an hour or so, strain. That heap of humble cooking scraps, your old familiar, has now been transformed into a measure of flavorful broth. Here are some ways to use it. Pour into a mug and sip. Refrigerate for a future soup. Reduce by 75% and freeze in ice cube trays for deglazing a pan or enhancing a sauce. In folklore, an old familiar is a supernatural entity, often in the form of an animal, like a cat, that assists in the practice of magic. And if cooking isn't magic, what is? Get familiar with impromptu broth making at savorymoment.org. From the studios of KCAW in Sitka, Alaska, I'm Beth Short Rhodes. Whatever is on your dinner table tonight, may you savor the moment. You're listening to Juno Afternoon from Studio 2K at KTOO. I'm your host, Boston Christopher. Joining me now via Zoom is Allison Miller from 49 Writers. Going to cheese for being here, Allison. Hi, Boston. Thanks so much for having me. How are you? Of course. I'm great. It's, uh, you know, it's a Tuesday. It's not snowing. <laughs> so yet there's still time <laughs> there's still time that's a positive um so you're here from 49 writers we've had 49 writers on the show in the past but just remind us again about 49 writers um who you are and what you do yeah absolutely uh so we are an alaska-based literary nonprofit. we offer classes retreats free readings community events our mission is to bring alaskans together and give them the resources that they need to tell their stories whatever that looks like for them um, so our programs are open to everyone we really will focus on uplifting the voices of alaskan writers or giving writers the tools that they need to start writing or continue their writing journey if that's what they want to do yeah and it's great 
great for people who may be interested in learning how to be a writer, right? There's definitely a lot of different workshops and things that you all have that help that out. So if you're listening and you are thinking about writing or you are a writer, 49 Writers is a great group to get involved with. Um, I was giving a shout out during the break there to Allison for their organization and the newsletters that they send out. You can sign up for their newsletter, which shows you all of the different opportunities that are coming up. Um, And there's a couple specific ones that we want to talk about. Um, One that's happening here in Juneau. So let's mention that, Allison. Yes, our annual retreat in Juno is coming up. So this year it will be June 6th through 8th. And it's held at the Shrine of St. Therese, which is just a beautiful, beautiful, peaceful venue. Um, that retreat, we really focus on things like mindfulness. The program usually includes things like meditations, um, quiet time, writing prompts to really kind of get your creative juices flowing. Um, I love our retreats because they're such a nice blend of community, but also sort of time for you to go off and be introspective and dive into a project or do some brainstorming. Um, That event is not quite posted yet, but it will be probably within the next week or so. And we will publish it in the newsletter and on our website. Um, So we're really excited about that. Yeah, Yeah, the the shrine is one of the first places I visited when I first came to Juneau. And it was one of the reasons I wanted to move back, actually, just in terms of the peacefulness and just all the different areas in Juneau that are mindful and peaceful. It's, It's just really lovely. So that's really great that that's happening. That's June 6th through the 8th. And of course, you can go to 49writers.org org and um, sign up for their newsletter and you'll hear about it when it happens or you can just keep in touch via the website there um, to some of those things that are happening. Now, I know you also have, uh, we had somebody on last year who was teaching at the Tutka Bay Writers Retreat and it's happening again this year in Homer, yes? Yes, it is. Um, And the dates for that are September 13th through 15th. And two, this year, one thing I'm really excited about is that we are adding an option to stay an extra day if participants want. Um, It's such a it's such a packed retreat in a good way. And Tutka Bay Lodge, who graciously hosts us, has all kinds of incredible activities for us. And so the only real complaint we got last year was that people wish they could have stayed longer. So this year there'll be an option, <laughs> yeah, which is a good problem to have. Um, so this year we're giving participants the option. Uh, we have a limited number of spots for a three night, four day retreat instead of two nights, three days, which it has traditionally been. Um, that also has not quite been posted and we are still looking for an instructor for this year's retreat. But yeah, I think it's going to be beautiful. And if you've Ever been down to Homer? Homer's wonderful, but going across the bay um, to where Tucka Bay lodges is just, it's its magical. It's very rainforesty, very secluded. Um, the lodge is amazing, probably some of the best food I've ever had in my life, and the accommodations are just luxurious. So um, if that's something that people are interested in, I'd really encourage them to keep an eye out for that. I do want to also emphasize that both our retreats are open to writers of all skill levels. I think that there's kind of a misconception that you have to have an established writing practice or you have to be uh, published already or or just be an expert to attend a retreat. And that's really not the case. We've had a lot of beginners come and get a lot out of it. 
And so I would encourage people who are trying to deepen their writing practice to take the leap and sign up for a retreat and kind of give yourself that gift of time and space that you wouldn't normally have. Yeah, what's great about both of these retreats is you're able to be around like-minded individuals at whatever level they might be at. And you're going to learn from maybe there is somebody who's more seasoned. You'll get some tips from them, but you also might meet some friends who, uh, new friends who are also learning how to write and or getting into writing for the first time or the first couple years of it or whatnot. And a retreat and being able to do that in person is also um, just quite magical. You know, those are just really wonderful things. Now, does 49 Writers have, um, in addition, I know I want to talk about some workshops here in a minute, but do you also have like monthly sort of get togethers um, or how does that work? Yeah, we do. So one thing that we are working on expanding is giving our members more opportunities to connect with each other. One thing that we've been doing recently that I host and have really, really enjoyed is our members have access to a monthly virtual write-in. So if you are a member once a month, I will sit on Zoom for an hour and a half or so, and anyone who's a member can come join me and we just sit together and write. And uh, it's, it's really, really nice. And for people who need accountability in their writing practice, like me, who struggle with the the getting your butt in the chair part of writing. It's really nice to have a time where you have to sit down and you have to write. Um, we also offer monthly free readings on Zoom and occasional uh, readings or open mic nights in person. So keep an eye out for those as they're scheduled. I love that because writing can sometimes feel like such a solo adventure. Um, but getting together to be able to share your work or even like you said, just sitting on zoom and writing at the same time, just knowing that somebody else is taking, it's kind of like going to the gym, right? It's like, you're going to get a gym partner to make sure that you're going to the gym. Um, so that's a wonderful thing that you're expanding that particular opportunity. Um, okay. So I know we have some upcoming workshops and I wanted to highlight some of these because I know for Juno, um, they may not be. Sometimes workshops aren't in person, but you do have the option to attend via Zoom for some of these workshops. So I'd love to point out some of the Zoom workshops, um, maybe starting with this one that's happening in uh, a couple Saturdays in March called Engaging Characters. Can you tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah, and this is this is very exciting because it's being taught by Andromeda Romano Lax, who, in addition to being just a fabulous writer and a wonderful teacher, is also one of our original co-founders. So we're really excited to have her working with us again. Um, and and workshops like these, I think, are really nice because they're virtual, so you don't have to travel. If you live in a remote community, it makes it much more accessible that way. Um, but they're really designed to help you either. Um, grow your writing practice or grow your craft or grapple with a specific problem if you're having issues with your character development, but in a way that kind of goes beyond the basics. So in particular, she's kind of dissecting the whole likable, unlikable character duality and, and talking to writers about how to go beyond that and make characters that really engage readers regardless of whether we like them or not. Yeah, I love that. Her Part of her subtitle is learning how strong writers break the rules, right? You got to learn the rules first, but then you got to figure out how to break them. And um, of course, uh, we're talking to 49 writers. You can go to 49writers.org slash events. You can learn about all the different um, options 
options of classes that are coming up. There are um, affordable options for some of these workshops. If you're a member, you get a little bit of a discount. So it's something to consider. One other one that I want to make sure we mention is this Writing for Kids 101. Can you tell us a little bit about Writing for Kids? Because I just think that's awesome. Is it? um, uh, Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that one. Yeah, so this is intended to be a very intro level class. Anyone who's ever been interested in children's literature, if you are interested, but you have no idea where to start, this is a good place for you. And this is really intended to be a generative workshop. So you'll have, it's a two week series too, I should mention. So you'll have assignments, you'll have prompts to kind of get you started. And I think even though we we tend to think of children's literature as being very simple, it's actually a lot harder to write it than you might imagine because you've got to really think about, you know, how, how do kids think of things? How do they understand stories? What kind of language is appropriate to use for them or, or it will be accessible to them? Um, so this is this is a really good kind of get your feet wet uh, situation if you are interested in writing for kids at all. That's awesome. And I know we had uh, Melinda Moustakas on the show last year when her book came out. Um, and it looks like you have an event with her coming up. Uh, next week um, via Zoom. uh, And that's more of a um, sort of reading and conversation with Melinda, right? It's not necessarily a workshop, but it's sort of like learning a little bit about what she does and her process. Is that what that is? Correct. Yeah. So she'll give us a reading, probably 20 or 30 minutes, and then we'll ask questions. Um, if the audience has questions and wants to ask her about her process or her craft or, you know, where the inspiration for her reading or her stories came from, they'll have the opportunity to do that. And I'm really excited to have her. We've been trying to, um, we've been trying to do a reading with her for a long time and she's just got, her writing has such a connection to Alaska. So I think it's going to be really exciting. And that one is free. I should mention. So. Yeah. I was going to say that one's you just have to to probably sign up via the Zoom or sign up at 49writers.org slash events for that for more information um, and to get the Zoom link for reading and conversation series with Melinda Moustakas, which is next Thursday, February 22nd from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. Um, Allison, I want to thank you so much for giving us sort of a brief overview of the upcoming events for 49 Writers. Sounds like there's some great stuff. Just to repeat that, we have the retreat at the Shrine of St. Therese here in Juneau, which is going to be in June. And then uh, the Tutka Bay Writers Retreat in Homer in September, plus other workshops that are coming out throughout the spring and conversations and uh, monthly meetings and other kinds of ways to expand uh, for all levels of writers. And you can find out more at 49writers.org. Allison Gunnath-Cheesh for being here today. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Yeah, absolutely. do it for today's Juno Afternoon on tomorrow's show. Previews of Orpheus Project's latest concert, Conflict and Compassion, the Sons of Norway Film Festival, and the Curiosity Unleashed event from the Juno Steam Coalition. Juno Afternoon airs Tuesday through Friday at 3 p.m. right here on KTOO Juno 104.3 and KAUK Juno Auk Bay 91.7. Hello out the road. Find the show online at ktoo.org slash Juno Afternoon where you can 
listen to episodes, subscribe to the podcast, offer feedback or suggestions, or find out how to be a guest on the show. Our theme music is by Indian Agent. Juno Afternoon is a project of the KTOO Arts and Culture team. I'm Boston Christopher, producer and host of the program, with help today from Aaron Tripp. Thanks, and have a glorious Juno evening. Bye.